0: Slump Buster
1: podcast. Slump Buster podcast. The first quarter starts now.
0: Is it too late to add an addition to my biggest NFL disappointments because the Carolina Panthers all the levels of disappointment. Every level for them. Actually, you know, I'll give their defense a pass but it's just been ugly, man. we we talked about it is Baker Mayfield the worst starting quarterback in the league. Well, he's not probably going to be a starter much longer apparently he has an ankle injury. Apparently the fire of sales begun reports of an inquiry between the Buffalo bills for Christian McCaffrey. Uh, What were your thoughts when you first heard the Matt rule was released this early in the season?
1: I don't usually care this much, but I'm going to say this here. I have never been more right about anything than I have been the last three seasons about the Carolina Panthers. Every step Along the way, I have been absolutely correct about the Carolina Panthers. This began in 2019 when I first started doing the Take It Easy podcast available on Believe and wherever you get podcasts. When I said, Carolina, you're in a perfect position to tear it down. McCaffrey's value will never be higher, and it's the running back position. You don't plan to compete for the next three seasons. So, what good does it do you to extend him when you know he has about three years of good football left? They gave McCaffrey an extension. They ended up hiring Matt Rule, which at the time, again, not a terrible hire. And then from there, they go 5 and 11. They go 5 and 11. They saved $20 million by getting rid of Cam Newton and then gave that $20 million to Teddy Bridgewater. They then Paid the Broncos thirteen million dollars to take Teddy Bridgewater, then traded a second-round pick for Sam Darnold, where they could have had Justin Fields or Micah Parsons at pick nine in that draft. J.C. Horn is really good, according to the Pro Football Focus guys, so like that's going to look better as time goes on. But they could have had Justin Fields and Micah Parsons instead. They gave up a second-round pick for Sam Darnold. They fired Joe Brady out of nowhere last year and replaced him with goddamn Ben McAdoo, and Carolina went five and eleven for a third consecutive season I told you in July when they spent four months posturing with Baker Mayfield. He's an upgrade over Sam Darnold, and it will not change their win-loss record by a single game. And lo and behold, I have been goddamn right about everything about the Carolina Panthers.
0: You weren't exactly right. Again, you said Baker Mayfield would be an improvement over Sam Darnold. That was very incorrect. That's <laughs> we've seen I, in the early I, season results.
1: Uh, sure, to, to each their own in terms of that. Uh, Sam Darnold's really bad at football also, but no, hey, he P.J. Is. Walker time. I,
0: I don't disagree with... Sam Darnold is bad at football I just think that Baker has been extremely bad at football when you look at that game against the Niners which by the way go Niners the double clutch interception just looks like he's playing scared out there I don't know if it had to do with the ankle injury I don't know if it's a little bit of shell shock from last year either way Baker Mayfield is just not the same guy he was his rookie year he wasn't the same guy that he was even two years ago in 2020 he's just shot as a quarterback at this point and The next question for Baker is what is the next phase of his career? Is it going to be as a backup? Uh, You would assume so, but at the same time, I kind of feel like Baker Mayfield has that stain that a lot of other guys of his ilk have, like Cam Newton. You know, the kind of like flashy, showy, former starter, former stud. I feel like it's not as going to be as simple as him just getting a job next year. There's going to be having some concessions made as far as his next destination of where he ends up going. As far as this fire sale, this game proposed for Carolina, Christian McCaffrey, Brian Burns, DJ Moore teams are inquiring about. So these are three big names. And this is what I meant when I first credited the Carolina Panthers. I thought that they were going to make a turnaround this year. I still thought that there was star caliber names on this team, names that other teams will find desirable. And sure enough, it's clear based off the early reports of teams inquiring that these names do have value for them. Okay. Christian McCaffrey, what do you think that that would net you? What would you pay for Christian McCaffrey if you're a GM?
1: Uh, it depends on the team. So if you're a team that's kind of like long centric, like say the New York Jets, if the New York Jets are making a trade, they don't need to put a premium on the running back position because they would be better served through their rebuild, investing in that young draft capital. The rumor if Buffalo. you're That's the next team I was going to go to. If you're Buffalo, overpay for Christian McCaffrey. Buffalo, that could be the difference between Buffalo being very, very, very good and better than Kansas City. And that you cannot put a price on that one of the all-in move of going to upgrade at the running back position that I still can't comprehend how terrible it's been. Buffalo's just got to do the analysis on what McCaffrey's worth in the market, which I got to be honest, I do not know what Christian McCaffrey would command at this point on the open market. I couldn't even throw a guess at you as to what Christian McCaffrey would be worth. Is he a first round pick? Is it multiple day two picks? Is it a player in a pick? I have no idea what you could get for Christian McCaffrey. At this point. And when it comes to DJ Moore and when it comes to Burns and when it comes to Chin, and it's going to come down to those players also on the team, I will say the same thing to them that I said to Seattle this offseason. You don't have to trade anybody. You also should take offers on everyone. You, you should evaluate exactly what you value those players at. If someone meets the price tag, don't hesitate to pull the trigger. You should make everyone available, but you don't have to trade anybody. You don't have to like get 70 cents on the dollar because you want to tear this thing all the way to the ground. Like Some of those players on the team are nice to haves, like Shaq Thompson, who just signed a giant extension, is a nice to have type of guy. The only must moves are the ones that preserve salary cap space and possibly lead to compensatory picks. Everything else, only trade them if a team meets your price tag.
0: As far as DJ Moore, I think that the Carolina Panthers should move on mostly because I think that wide receiver is a replaceable position in the NFL. And I feel if you could get a second or third round pick from DJ Moore, who I still think is a second or third round talent, even at current value. I think that that's a move that Panthers should explore. As far as Brian Burns goes, he's a bit of an X factor to me because it's not easy to find star pass rushers in the NFL. You don't Salgo on Brian Burns. I think that you can get a good pick off of him. If we look at someone like a Frank Clark or a D4, that was about a high second round pick a couple of years ago. So I would say Brian Burns should at least equal that, if not a lower end first round pick. Christian McCaffrey, like you said, I think that that's the weirder one just because of how the NFL evaluates the running back position now. You wouldn't draft many running backs in the first round unless you're David Gettleman. So I don't know how many <laughs> other NFL GMs are going to trade a first-round pick for a running back like Christian McCaffrey, unless you just don't look at him as a running back. That's also the thing about Christian McCaffrey, right? Because we value how much much of a difference maker he is in the receiving game. If you value him more as a slot-wide receiver, that maybe changes what you perceive Christian McCaffrey as. A team like Buffalo, who doesn't really have a running game, I don't know how they would really value a Christian McCaffrey because he is obviously an improvement over what they currently have in the backfield. But if they intend to use him more as a Cole Beasley type or Cole Beasley replacement and that slot, then I don't know if he's necessarily the same value. You know, a team he'd be really valued for, the San Francisco 49ers. After all, we do love to acquire running backs with injury histories, and he would be (laughs) fantastic in those three games he suited up as a Cal Shanahan running back. I think that they should explore those three players. You know, J.C. Horn, someone I think is going to be part of your future. You want to keep him around. Lockdown cornerback, one of the best in the game at that position already. Just in his second year, Uh, I think J.C. Horns a good building block. I I think they have good quality defensive pieces, but they'll have to ask themselves what is our goals for the rest of the season? Because you mentioned, okay, Baker, he might go down a couple weeks with this ankle injury. Okay, P.J. Walker slide in. Sam Darnold's coming back from IR. I guess you want to get some evaluations of all three of those guys. You know that they're no longer. (laughs) No, no,
1: you don't have to. I will say, none of those three quarterbacks are going to be on the team next year. I I will put that out there. None of put this down in the in our list. None of these three quarterbacks—Baker, Sam Darnold, or PJ Walker—will be on the team next year. And uh,
0: well, do you want to go all in on this coming year to go after a CJ Stroud or a Bryce Young, or do you maybe even want to punt a year for like a Caleb Williams the next year? Because you can set yourself up to be really bad in two years. I will say, I think it's tough just because the Panthers came into this year trying to compete.
1: Yes, for sure. This was the break or break season, of course. And my my evaluation on this has changed. Uh, The the Lions and the Giants have made me think about this, where it's like they haven't liked anybody in the last couple of years drafts. And so they've gone with, you know, the Giants don't see Daniel Jones being on the team beyond this year, but because they, they were just like, eh could do worse. They just kind of slid him in for a season, they think, and probably still will be a a rebuilding year. And I keep saying they're shooting for Will Levis. Lions, same situation. They don't view Goff as the long-term option, but they... It's a fine holdover for years. And uh, if you don't like the options, it's just the reason I say the Baker, Darnold, and Walker thing is that it'll be very easy to move off of all three of them at the end of this season. And so the new coach will come in and, and do what they want. And, and on the McCaffrey front, I just realized something as you were mentioning the 49ers, which is if you're a team like Buffalo, Kansas City, the Rams, and the 49ers, and you trade for Christian McCaffrey, it's very easy to explain why. If you're another team that's offering premium capital for McCaffrey, you're going to have to explain to me why you're doing it. So like, the Jets. Why would you trade for Christian McCaffrey? How does this fit into the grand scheme that you're trying to run? If you're uh, a team like the, I, I don't think the Raiders would, but I'm just throwing a team out there that I'm thinking about. Like if you're not a team where it's very clear why you're making this trade and how it fits into your offense, maybe second guess before you give up premium capital for McCaffrey, which I know sucks because that means McCaffrey is going to go to one of the four best teams in the league. Because when you're Buffalo in Kansas City, of course you can make room for Christian McCaffrey on your team. Team. f
0: them picks right <laughs>
1: rams should rams totally should their running game it has been atrocious the last two years they should absolutely get mccaffrey if they can't or derrick henry one of the two he kind of looks get like
0: cooper cup so i think that might work for matthew stafford
1: yeah yeah they got all the white receivers out there skronik there matthew stafford cooper cup that they'll be fine just sliding mccaffrey in i will also Seems say like matthew to the
0: Stafford's loving those check down plays a lot more these days
1: The one part I will also bring up about Baker Mayfield, and you mentioned this earlier, is Baker Mayfield's that guy who is fueled by the haters. He is fueled by, I have a gigantic boulder on my shoulder and I'm going to prove someone wrong. I was cut at Texas Tech. After walking on and stealing the starting job, I was the Heisman Trophy winner going to Cleveland, guy who was constantly talked about being replaced, like chip on your shoulder guys usually are the ones who flame out faster because what happens when the haters are proven correct? Like what happens when all the evaluation comes true and you have to evolve and adapt your identity? It's difficult to do, especially when you've made it this far. By being the guy who's fueled by the hatred and using it to your advantage. Now he has to reinvent his personality a little bit. That's the personality type that famously flames out of the NFL. I don't want to like throw Johnny Manziel accusations onto him just because of all that's encompassed with Johnny Manziel and fame and alcoholism and all sorts of stuff. But Baker Mayfield follows a similar trend of the people who flame out spectacularly are the people who then have to change their identity as they no longer become an NFL. Starting quarterback.
0: Do you think the only place he really fits is a team that has a superstar quarterback already?
1: I think it depends on Baker Mayfield the person, and I don't know Baker Mayfield the person. I think as it's currently constructed now, a situation where he's a very clear backup would be beneficial because it gives him the time to kind of process what the next five to ten years of his career going to look like. Because he could be Gardner Minshew for a decade. He could be like Geno Smith for a decade. Like if he so mm. chooses. He could be a backup quarterback and a very good backup quarterback for many, many years.
0: Give me the best landing spot you can think of for Baker
1: best landing spot in the league well I think at this stage of his career it would be a place that has a a quarterback who might get replaced so like I guess like maybe Minnesota or something like a place where he could do what I call bridge watering which is like he could take over for the starting job if the guy plays poorly or
0: if he gets hurt like what Tannehill did with Mariota I I just don't like that from his personality type and We'll see. Like you mentioned, he can evolve. People change. People change all the time. They get better. They improve. They grow. He's coming off an offseason in which, again, he became a sympathetic character in the public eye because of everything going on with Cleveland. What is that uh, coming off? Poor play. Obvious poor play. Dumbfounding how bad he's played this year, given that his numbers are comparable to most NFL rookies. He just flew below Justin Fields. Who knows knows how much leash we're going to continue to give Justin Fields, too. I think the only places that make sense that, I mean, come on, like how, how long is like Chad Henney going to keep going along in Kansas city? Right. Or yeah. Buffalo's always probably looking for a backup quarterback at uh, Justin Herbert, Chase Daniel has been in the league forever. I'm sure that he could use conceivably a backup quarterback. I doubt the Packers are really selling themselves high on Jordan love anymore these days. And you <laughs> never know you have a veteran quarterback who could retire any day. So maybe there's that in terms of rebuilding your character and trying to just find a place where you could kind of, fly under the radar tampa i would say no just because i think brady could conceivably be in his last year so that would instantly make mayfield the starter next year those are just some of the places that kind of like instantly come to mind as far as like where baker could go next we'll see but i mean he just needs to play better i mean bottom line and a story like it doesn't really matter his character or what he says in a press conference he just needs to show it on the field at least at some point this season, I'm sure he's going to get another opportunity to go out there. I, I don't think PJ Walker's going to light it up the rest of the season and just steal the job. No, I don't think no. Sam Darnold's going to light it up the rest of the season and just steal the job. So Baker's going to have his opportunity. We'll see if he can improve. These
1: guys are on fire. Let's hear more. Second quarter starts
0: now. If you needed a get-right game, I guess the Rams. Came to the right neighborhood because they're going to be playing the Carolina Panthers this week. The Carolina Panthers, of course, firing Matt Rule. Go check out that video. Talk about rebuilding the Carolina Panthers because I I think this is more of a Rams-focused preview to me. This is kind of has that feel because the Rams, you know, week five was not good for them. It showed that they got some obvious problems with this team. And you look at Matthew Stafford's stat line through five weeks, five touchdowns, seven interceptions. Uh, one of the league leaders in interceptions, and he he just has a problem right now that he's just locking in on one guy. And if you're Cooper Rush fantasy owner, you love it, but not not a lot of people who enjoy watching the Rams are loving what they're seeing from this team. Why do you think this offense is so bad, Kyle?
1: Because uh, literally week one. So I will I will tell you this. I was driving up from San Diego to uh, Sacramento for the Bills Rams game, and when I got back. I started watching the game and my first instinct and I made a whole podcast after the fact was, oh, my God, Matthew Stafford looks so broken and they just they can't open up the playbook because he just physically can't do the things that he was doing even last year. And from that point, I I looked at that and said. Stafford you're not ready to play like he had elbow surgery coming in recently he was coming off the shoulder injury that Troy Aikman spoiled spilled the beans on during the NFC championship game last year Matthew Stafford is physically not correct And then you add in the fact that he had a rib injury against the Cowboys this week he's been dealing with a calf problem like the dude is just so injured and I know it's football so we don't give the that reports. pass
0: that's the thing
1: yeah Matthew Stafford's a crazy person. And because there's no one thing you can point to the physical ailments that is like, okay, this is something that might possibly keep him out. It's just, it's the constant pain and toil of football. And Matthew Stafford's just experienced it earlier than everyone else. I mean, Justin Herbert's still playing with like torn rib cartilage and he's not showing up on the injury report. Matthew Stafford. Well, has been would, so broken would, and, and
0: the nfl i mean would still have to i believe there's penalties for not showing up someone oh, on the injury report oh
1: yo, yeah you no, you're correct in terms of like he doesn't have a specific one injury he's just physically like a lesser version of himself and most football players are i mean matthew Stafford won a super bowl with a torn shoulder last year so like obviously they the excuse only goes so far it's just the, it's not the only problem with the rams it's just the most glaring problem is that they're paying Stafford a lot of money to overcompensate for the fact that they don't like paying Stafford means you don't get to have Robert Woods. You don't get to have Todd Gurley. You don't get to spend big money at those spots and it hasn't worked out.
0: But should he show up on the injury report for the part of his brain that controls decision-making? Because it's clear that there's some decision-making issues as well. Whenever you're watching his game, because these interceptions are just really bad interceptions. They're literally like targeting the defenders on the other team. They're, interceptions that if it was Jameis winston would be like oh, of course the classic G- Jameis winston yeah. type interceptions because mm-hmm. they're right they're right too, guys they're they're bad ones if you are suffering through these elbow injuries these shoulder injuries then why are you still attempting deep balls like he is because these deep <laughs> balls just kind of like look like just balloons waiting to get plucked from the air is that play calling is that matthew stafford where is the disconnect? Because clearly Sean McVay or one one of these guys has to be the bigger man, the bigger voice in the room, and say, "Okay, the offense is clearly a little stilted, cl- clearly a little stale right now. We need to change up our philosophy." Why aren't we getting a guy like Allen Robinson involved? You know, Allen Robinson, maybe he's not quite the receiver he was that we thought he was when he was obviously when when he was in Jacksonville or the early part of his career with the Bears. But in week one, he was averaging three yards of separation. So it's clearly the ability is still there. Why aren't we getting him involved? Why aren't we just dialing up plays for him? Why is this such a uncreative offense I, now?
1: I've seen so I've seen Sean McVay adapt and change his offense a couple times over the last three to four years. And and this year leads me to believe that the problem is personnel more than it is the the person the the scheming around the personnel itself. And it's frustrating when Alan Robinson doesn't get receptions or targets because of you know the fact that he's a big time free agent guy, a fantasy owner. We've seen him do it with lesser quarterbacks in worse situations. Um I think it's personnel and I think the reason it's personnel from the very beginning is Matthew Stafford is injured, and the offensive line is not the same offensive line that it's been the past few years. And that combination of problems leads to Matthew Stafford's deep balls getting intercepted more often. Because, like, dumb Matthew Stafford interceptions have been a thing his entire career. Like, it's the reason Matthew Stafford is not a seven-time Pro Bowler and an actual Hall of Famer. Is that yeah, Matthew Stafford makes dumb interceptions all the time, and it's usually they go for pick sixes. That's been the thing yeah. since he was in Detroit. He's one
0: Jokoski tart drop away from none of the praise that we're giving on him this year going in yeah and Matthew Stafford
1: Matthew Stafford's been that dude forever the problem this year is that he's not putting up any yards because he's basically like game managing because that's all he can physically do
0: I I know that they don't really have a good pivot on the Rams and I know that going back to the offseason the Rams were one of those teams that was kind of game rumored in the Jeremy Garoppolo sweepstakes if he got cut are you saying that Sean
1: McVay's undying love for John Walford will not continue into the regular season?
0: <laughs> because at a certain point, like we're having the same conversation with Matt Ryan and we're having the same conversation with Russell Wilson. You know, like at what point are you hurting your team?
1: Well, so this is the this is the interesting thing. Like he had surgery on the elbow this offseason and it just didn't recover in enough of a time period because he was squeezing a six month recovery into like three months coming off the surgery. And so because he doesn't have to have another procedure theoretically, that's why the diminished play has been out there. And I thought coming off of week one, they should have just sat down Stafford and given the elbow time to recover and said that was the reason he was out. Even if it was a combination of the shoulder and the elbow and the calf, they should have sat him down and gave him the proper recovery time but that's not how football culture works, right? Like Matthew Stafford sped up his recovery so that he would be able to play. All the incentives are there for him to play because the Rams might not be able to survive missing eight games of Matthew Stafford. So I, I think it's just a matter of protecting the long-term health. And, and like you were bringing up with them going to the top of the draft, I don't think it's that egregious for the Rams. They're better not than the Giants.
0: Could. But not that they could because they don't even, they're not even yeah. in the draft.
1: No, they're they're better than the Giants. So, like, it's not like end of the world DEFCON 9, but like they're ranked 18th in the league in defensive DVOA, despite the fact they have Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald, who are the two best players at their position. So, I mean, unless Donald and Ramsey are not having good seasons and I'm just not seeing that because I'm not the smartest football trained eye in the world, like something is clearly coming up short on that defense as well. And the offensive line is a much lesser product. And. Yeah, the the Rams are like a fringe playoff team this season. And if Matthew Stafford doesn't stay healthy, I mean, fortunately for them, there's only like five good teams in the NFC, so they yeah. might like sneak into the playoffs. But the idea of saying the Rams are sneaking into the playoffs is, is a little bit crazy.
0: Yeah, you also have to factor in their last two opponents. Maybe it's a little bit of that. They're clearly playing the two of the better defenses in the league when you consider the Niners and Cowboys. I think the answer, the obvious fix is you have to start getting Allen Robinson by hook or by crook involved in this Mm -hmm. offense because you just can't be as one dimensional as they are because teams are starting. You go back to two weeks ago in the Monday night game, tell him knew where the ball was going. That is why Mm -hmm. he waited on that pick six to just jump in front of Cooper cup and take it back to the house. You just need to make yourself different. I don't know if that's targeting the tight end more. That was one adjustment that Sean McVay made a couple of years ago that kind of helped the Rams offense kind of find some steam. But whatever they're doing, it just isn't it. Uh, again, going back mm-hmm. to the original point, though, you are facing a team 11-point spread here. You're playing the Panthers. This is the type of game that you should get right in. You know, the, the Panthers defense, though, they can cause issues. I think the Panthers... Defense can cause issues, and that's the one thing I would say that if you told me that this game, Panthers plus 11, I could say taking it. Even with the expected, the problems that the Panthers have on offense, we've also seen those weird circumstances whenever your coach is fired and the team amps up for a week. So I kind of like the Panthers' as a sneaky plus 11 play. Obviously, I'm picking the Rams as the winners outright. <laughs> you figure J.C. Horn is going to be the main person covering Cooper Cup this week. They're yeah, gonna I think that this might be like one of those sneaky kind of like games that's closer than we think it should be.
1: I'm going to go back to the same thing. I mean, you're talking about all those options that they have to try and get people involved, whether it's Robinson or Higby or Van Jefferson. I still think it's personnel. I think the Rams problem is personnel more than it is the schemes themselves. And maybe they want to try and F them picks and, and go all in again. But I, I think there's just. There's a lot of issues on the team, issues that existed last year that I think were masqueraded by the fact that they had Von Miller, they had a healthy Matthew Stafford, they had Whitworth, they had a good offensive line. This is the this is the ramifications, pun intended, of going all in <laughs> for for all of those seasons. And and now one or two injuries ends up like being the, the Jenga block that makes the tower crumble Uh, I I am also going to go with the Rams uh, to win this game because the Panthers are absolute bare booty ass cheeks and just fired their coach. What about with the points? If Carolina is going to win, it's going to be a backdoor cover. Um, I'm not going to say that that's not going to happen, but if it's going to be Carolina, it's going to be a backdoor cover probably.
0: Okay. Okay. PJ Walker week. looks like Baker Mayfield is doubtful. So uh, looking forward to that former Houston roughneck. Go out there. Kick the Rams ass. Make them two and four. I want to see it. <laughs> anyway. The guys are killing it. Half done. Third quarter is beginning now. Tyler Hero signed a four-year, $130 million contract with the Miami Heat last season. Very good season for him. You know, he was one of the best six men in the league. Uh, consistent scoring off the bench for the Miami Heat, even though he basically played a majority of their minutes. That's exactly what this team kind of needs, because when you kind of like look at the construction of the Heat, they do need uh, guys that could come off and score like Tyler Hero's been able to do and certainly guys that have been able to do it from range. That was kind of their key to victory last year. Analyzing their offseason a little bit more, though, Kyle, what do you think of this Miami Heat team? Do you think they're still contenders in the Eastern Conference heading into the 2022-2023 season? Yeah, Miami's in
1: this really interesting place where obviously they were the one seed last year. They were within one game of the finals and within uh, one you know, shot. they almost got there. one shot
0: basically
1: (laughs) see I say one game like that because there was no they had no business winning that game seven Boston just threw up on themselves in the last like four minutes of that game and and that would have been the storyline otherwise but you're right yeah they came within one shot of the NBA finals where if they had made the NBA finals I attest they would have been the worst team in the history of modern basketball to make the NBA finals at least let's say in my lifetime the worst team to make the finals. It would have been swept out immediately by the Warriors. There was that and Nets
0: team in the early two
1: thousands that made it. See, technically my lifetime, I was like one years old or two years old at that point. So technically that squeezes in, but let's, let's say like the last 15 years, it would have been like the worst team to make the, the NBA. LeBron
0: finals. James led Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah, that first run. I guess that's the
1: cutoff point, right? Okay. That's, that's where like we're Miami would have been cut off. Yeah. Okay. Miami would have been swept out immediately by the the Warriors. And if they had won one game, it would have been because the Warriors like shot two for 30 from three. So what's interesting is that they're in this like top two or three space, but they didn't change the foundation of their roster very much. So I guess what they're betting on is the rest of the team's aren't getting better as well because Miami obviously subtracts PJ Tucker from the team. There's not really a player you point to where you say their development is going to be this great improvement for them. It's Jimmy Butler. It's Bam Adebayo. It's Tyler Hero. And uh, all of them are, while Tyler Hero is not a fully formed player, they're betting on similar levels of production.
0: I would also say one of their other big extensions or not big intentions, but a big move for them. Victor Oladipo, they brought him back on a two-year deal. You're hoping that he continues to put that injury behind him in his past. He hasn't looked, obviously, like quite the same player pre-injury. I know in that Boston series in particular, anytime Oladipo came off the bench, he was consistent scoring threat for them, caused a lot of problems. He still has some athleticism. But you are right that they are a flaw team. It's weird that they were the number one seed last year when you consider that they were middle of the pack in scoring. They're middle of the pack in rebounding. Actually, they were not even middle of the pack in rebounding. They were one of the worst teams in the league in terms of rebounding. Their biggest strengths were they were the best three-point shooting team in the league. Didn't take a lot of attempts, but they were the best three-point shooting team in the league, and they forced a lot of turnovers. And I think this kind of plays into, as cliche as it is to say, heat culture. Because what heat culture really is to me is it's that kind of scrappy level of defense that hustle plays Um, and you look at their team leader jimmy butler that kind of exemplifies throughout their roster because on defense there's no denying that they are a tenacious defense they get in guys in the building too that are undrafted or looked lowly upon like you know a struce or something and turn them into players that are key parts of their rotation coming into this year you look around the eastern conference though and you ask yourselves where do they kind of like slot in okay so you have the Celtics that they came within again a shot of beating uh the Celtics added Brogdon this year uh Gallinari got hurt before the season and then we obviously know what's going on with Ime Adoka the Bucks just kind of stayed pat they didn't really make any notable moves their biggest move is this postseason they'll have Chris Middleton assumably in their yeah. lineup they'll and get healthy the Bucks will get healthy at least you think you would say but it's always possible to th- they suffer injuries because they've kind of had a little bit of that. It's just poor luck that Chris Milton got hurt when he did. The Hawks got better. The 76ers with uh, Harden coming in in better shape, you would think that they kind of got better if they can get a better version of James Harden because the last couple seasons, the version of James Harden we saw wasn't what we were expecting. Uh, they the did Nets. also
1: take P.J. Tucker
0: from the Miami Heat they, this offseason. They did do that. So addition by subtraction, attra- subtracting from your other opponent's roster and adding to yours. Uh, so respect that strategy. The Brooklyn Nets, they're the biggest question mark of the Eastern Conference, right? Because last year, told you going in, told you a dozen times going in. They were not better than the Boston Celtics. And sure enough, they get swept out. They're the only team last postseason get swept out. But they did get an addition in the sense that Assumably Ben Simmons is going to be back on their team. What version of Ben Simmons are they getting? Now you look at all those and those are going to be really what the heat are going to be kind of competing with is culture is the three point shooting is the defense just going to be enough to keep them in that mix to keep them viable amongst that group. I would say they're still within that top five. I just, I don't see enough to like pull them out of that top five. I think the Jimmy Butler, he's streaky. But when he's on his streak, he's one of the best players in the NBA. There's no doubt about it to me. Uh, Tyler Hero, you, you mentioned, you don't think he's a fully formed player. The player that we saw last year, if that player maintains, that's still a very good player that they have on their roster. And then you're just really hoping that you could get any kind of rebound performance from Kyle Lowry because Kyle Lowry in the postseason was just non-existent for them and starting to look like a bad contract. If Kyle Lowry can fix that, hell, talk about guys that need to get back into the gym, right? Do some work. Kyle Lowry if he could fix that and come into camp in better shape I think that that would be a huge addition for this Miami Heat team.
1: Yeah, Miami's in that interesting place where they kind of have two untradeable contracts being Kyle Lowry and Duncan Robinson. So obviously they're they're kind of like fighting from behind in that sense because those contracts are well, difficult. Well, Duncan, to move. you know,
0: he just needs to be more consistent. That that's the thing. Uh, he's not a helpful player on defense, but if he could just become a more consistent three-point shooter because he kind of lost his shot towards the tail end of the last season. And that was yeah. one of the big things that kind of made him expendable. So this is the interesting thing about
1: heat culture. I think the Miami heat and the, the old time San Antonio Spurs and also the Warriors now, but you know, we need a larger sample size there. What's interesting is that they can find a dozen Duncan Robinson's and that's the great competitive advantage that they have. When the playoffs rolled around last year, Gabe Vincent was starting in place of uh of Duncan Robinson and Max Struess was sliding in for uh, Kyle Lowry. And those guys were making a combined, I believe $3 million total last year. Um, This year, Caleb Martin is going to be replacing PJ Tucker. They didn't really add any piece for money. They just slid in Caleb Martin to the starting lineup. So like, They can find those guys. The problem for them where they get in trouble is when they get a little high on their own supply and they sign James Johnson to an extension. They sign Hassan Whiteside. They sign Dion Waiters. They sign Duncan Robinson. And all of a sudden the production dips because... Max Struess is basically giving them what Duncan Robinson used to be because in Duncan Robinson's first three seasons, I think he made a combined total like $5 million. And then he got $80 million on a contract that probably should have been another team paying for Duncan Robinson because Miami doesn't need him at 16 million dollars i'll also point out the thing about oladipo shout out to uh, amin el hassan who does sirius xm radio and he's on the levitard who pointed out victor oladipo according to his words was unplayable in the playoffs last year because yes he can score points he is an abomination of a defensive player at this point in his career and the the offensive production you're getting it's very ball heavy that's not how the miami heat want to run their offense it defeats the whole purpose of having him on the floor in the first place so well, I will that's why he's that coming off the old bench
0: depot. you know they're they're not going to be rolling old depot out even if he does come out in full strength in their starting lineup and they shouldn't like saying, mm-hmm. he is bad for them defensively but if you just get some quick spark off the bench that's what old depot excels at doing for them
1: yeah. The the thing is, once the rotation gets smaller, they would actually prefer to play Gabe Vincent instead of him, which of course we think of Oladipo as this former all-star number two pick in the draft. Gabe Vincent actually provides them more of what they're looking for. And uh, the other part that I think is a big question mark coming into the year is Bam Adebayo kind of disappears every now and again offensively. Uh, he has games where it's not that he's not effective on offense he's just not shooting at all he's not taking shots he's not using big man moves and, yeah. and that's obviously something that we'll have to wait till the playoffs to solve but it's just an interesting
0: point and problems aren't going away is that out yeah. like relative to other nba centers problems aren't going away is that he's undersized and that's why that they were one of the worst uh, rebounding teams in the league you go into the Celtics series again the celtics like you said almost threw up on the cells that gave that series away but in the games that they were running at full strength and blowing out the heat, it was because they were able to exploit that matchup with Robert Williams and other pieces on their team, like Al Horford or Grant Williams, Grant Williams. you know, other big, bigger guys in the paint that were able to match up really well with Autobio. Like you said, make it impossible for him to want to take shots. So those are just issues that I don't know if they can really fix. Autobio just is what he is, and he's just going to give you what he gives you. And I, I think that he's a very good player. But you're right. Consistency could probably be the biggest strength of improvement for Autobio as the Heat try and compete for NBA title. All right, guys. And now starts the final quarter.
1: Buckle up. Buckle up. This is the Slump Buster
0: Podcast. Was the Lakers thing even remotely close? Yeah. To my knowledge, I thought it was a done deal. So I was like, I'm gonna get away for a couple couple days, take my mind off it, and by the time I come home, be free agency. Hey, signing with the Lakers demar DeRozan was on old man in the three this past week and in that interview he confirmed something that we kind of knew but weren't for sure about that he was basically a los angeles laker without just signing the contract it was a done deal his agent had already gone and everything they were planning on getting the move on the way and then the russell westbrook trade happened and demar if you listen to the interview You could tell that the man was definitely hurt by this. Emotional damage! This was his homecoming. This is his opportunity to go play for the team that he admired growing up. And it didn't happen because the Lakers decided they wanted another star. Russell Westbrook was the star. DeMar was the guy that used to be a star or a fringe star. And then San Antonio happened and his star caliber dropped, tanked gone. And then last season happened, we got to play the results a little bit. And DeMar, although he didn't finish that great through the early part of the season, we know how well DeMar played. He was playing at an MVP caliber level. I think this one is just another example of the Lakers front office making a huge misstep and it sucks for them too that it gets to play out in the public because DeMar put it on one of the most famous Basketball sports podcast out there with JJ Riddick.
1: Yeah, that is, uh, that's something that we always kind of knew existed. But of course, because the news was reported that Buddy Heald was going to the Lakers in exchange for Contavious Caldwell Pope and Kyle Kuzma, because that deal was reported, that was the story that ended up taking precedence. Uh, I'll never forget that. I was in an airport, I was in the line for TSA. And it was announced that Buddy Heald was going to the Lakers. And then 40 minutes later, Russell Westbrook was going to the Lakers for the same package, plus like Montres Harrell in a first round pick going to... Washington I'll never forget how stupid that was but what was kind of lost in that was that yeah the Lakers had had talks with DeMar DeRozan DeMar DeRozan was technically a free agent the Lakers would have had to do a sign-in trade which would have broke Greg Popovich's heart but you know he didn't have much of a choice when it came to DeRozan leaving it was either spike the Lakers and get nothing or get Kyle Kuzma in return and I, I think they would have gone for it
0: and media day Greg confirmed coach Pop confirmed that he's in it just for the paycheck at this point so It's fine. I think he could have let it go.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I think that they would have facilitated a trade and got uh, something in between. They did end up facilitating a trade with Chicago and they got like, if you follow the winding path of trade, they basically got like a first round pick for DeMar DeRozan because they like got Thaddeus Young and traded Thaddeus Young for, for anyways, but that it would have been something totally plausible and totally could have happened. The Lakers just messed up real bad.
0: If the Lakers did end up with DeMar, how do you think that would have changed their 2021-2022 season?
1: <laughs> well, in fairness, they wouldn't have like drew- they wouldn't have gone from missing the playoffs to like winning the championship. DeMar deRozan's a great player. He's not that great of a player because the Lakers had so many injuries, but the Lakers would have been the bulls last year. <laughs> they would have been in the playoffs, win one playoff game and then get bounced. I mean, Anthony Davis wouldn't have played the whole playoffs, but at least you have a semi-healthy LeBron and DeMar DeRozan. They wouldn't have just called it quits at the end of the season.
0: I think it's more notable given how bad Russell Westbrook played last season. The guy led the league in turnovers. The guy was yeah his, <laughs> his normal 30% three-point shooting self. I, I think that when you consider that, and you just put that against the raw numbers that DeMar DeRozan was putting up last year, the guy averaged 27.9, basically 28 points per game, was over 50% from the field, 35% three-point shooter, 87% free-throw shooter. You just add those statistics, and I know that players aren't chess pieces, you could just move around at will, but putting those numbers, if I could just Put those numbers on last year's version of the Lakers. Like you said, I don't know if they're a championship team. There's a lot of things that have to break right from an injury standpoint for the Lakers to be a championship team again. But, man, I'd be looking at this team at least as a second-round playoff team. You know, look about the teams that we in. I mean, they were better than last year's version of the Nikola Jokic-led Denver Nuggets with no stars around him. If you had DeMar and LeBron, at least – I think that those are two guys that you just go into battle with on a given night. If they added, like you mentioned, a Buddy Hill, someone who's more competent from a three-point shooting range, and someone that pairs with Le- LeBron James, hell, just having that combo of DeMar, Hield, LeBron, that's just infinitely better than what they had. And their refusal to include like THT in trades last year was another storyline that kind of lingered around the Lakers. A lot of questions for Polinka in that front office. It, this has got to hurt. I, if you're Rob Polinka, if you're the front office coming off of this interview being publicly posted out there and hindsight <laughs> being 2020, you have to think that this is the year if so things bad. don't break right for it's the Lakers. It's so bad. It's, it's, it's championship so bad. or bust for them.
1: Oh, but the Lakers can't win a championship. That's over now. Lakers yeah, can't I know. Win so basically...
0: It, it's bust for them. It, you got to change just...
1: your expectations, of course. And from the DeRozan standpoint, like I know adding a three-point shooter is important. DeMar DeRozan's not a great three-point shooter, but there's this weird thing about the NBA where the, the way the sport is set up and analytics and data tell us that even if you're not a great three-point shooter, just keep shooting threes. The best thing is to, not, it, the three-point shot is, is still for a not great three-point shooter better than a mid-range two-pointer now the difference with DeRozan is DeRozan is a great mid-range two-point shooter so the math changes there a little bit but the the thing in San Antonio DeRozan only took one point I believe 1.7 I haven't looked at it in a while it's somewhere between one and two three-point shots a game his last season in San Antonio and he took three and a half last year against our for the Chicago Bulls and look at how the numbers change DeRozan like just keep shooting threes, even if you aren't a great three-point shooter, because that shot is so valuable. So even if they don't add the shooting that they didn't have last year, they still would have been okay. DeRozan could have at least spaced the floor better than Westbrook, which again, like this year, Westbrook's not going to play on the floor at the same time as AD and LeBron, except for in crunch time.
0: So officially he was 1.9 three-point attempts per game, which isn't Mm -hmm. a lot, but at least hitting them at a more respectable clip Uh, 35% good you know you're not a 50 40 90 guy but 35 you can live with compare that to Russ last season he was attempting see he was attempting 3.4 he was attempting Mm -hmm. more three-pointers so he's kind of doing what you said just attempt more except the problem is he was 29.8%
1: yeah, the Lakers would have preferred someone else shoot the three-pointers, but the problem also is that Westbrook was so ball-dominant that it meant LeBron and AD were kind of just standing around as Westbrook did that, and so let's also be fair to Westbrook. Westbrook was not as bad as everyone was saying last year. He just became the punching bag for the Lakers because he had shots that hit the and backboard. And hey,
0: that that is the danger for DeMar, because DeMar, be careful what you wish for. If he did end up with the Lakers and the Lakers aren't competing for a championship, still playoff team, but aren't competing for a championship. Then all of that blame goes to DeMar DeRozan. It's an unfair position sometimes that you end up in when you are on these LeBron James led teams, but it, it it's just kind of what you're signing up for. I think with DeMar, at least he could have kind of washed it away in the sense. I'm coming home. I'm with the Lakers. Things are fine. Like you said, they could have been <laughs> as good as last year's version of the bulls. But it's also a shame, too, if you're Russell Westbrook, obviously a guy who played for UCLA, a guy from Los Angeles himself, he also had to get that experience. And yeah, they it. treated
1: him like Dwight Howard. That was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. The Lakers fans absolutely destroyed him because Lakers fans are losers, and they just—they're not even just losers; they're also lazy. That they, they just do the same shit over and over with different players. One year it's Danny Green, one year it's Dennis Schroeder one year it's Lonzo, one year it's Kuzma. Now it's, it's not just Lakers
0: <laughs> fan; it, it's not. It, it really is a LeBron James team type yeah. thing. The, these happen every year because we look at. The 2018 Cavaliers, and I'll admit, I'll be the first to admit, the Cavaliers that year were an awful team put together, but every single piece on that team that wasn't named LeBron James just got absolutely lambasted at every opportunity. (laughs) Kevin Love, ever after putting on a Cleveland Cavaliers jersey, yes, he was rewarded in the sense he got his championship ring, but... Every year, it just seemed like he was just getting criticized, criticized, criticized. Dude,
1: to your point, Saturday Night Live did skits about how bad the Cavs bench was. Saturday Night Live was doing skits about the Cavs bench cleaning LeBron's jersey and like picking up his laundry and taking care of his kids. And their point guard was a Roomba. Like even everyone was getting those. Even go back to
0: the Heatles. Aside from the big three, and actually too, even with the big three, Chris Bosh was taking a lot of heat while they were winning championships and that bench was taking a lot of heat as well one of those things where it's a gift and a curse because it was a gift when lebron james was in his prime because lebron could elevate you and even though you had to deal with the criticism you always knew that a finals appearance was on the other side now that you don't have that same assurity i i think that now it's kind of just all risk not a lot of reward or at least the reward kind of has a cap ceiling if you're a guy like russell westbrook it sucks because you, you went from all-time great beloved by many to bum who basically could just be out the looked at as a street free agent but i just
1: can't believe that that's Westbrook's in the like Carmelo Anthony phase of his career where everyone just makes fun of him because he thinks he's the player he used to be and if Westbrook just decides to become John Wall and come off the bench people will fall in love with Westbrook again it's the dumbest thing and sports fans do it and it's just it's silly and if it had been DeRozan it wouldn't have looked as bad as this I mean obviously DeRozan would have taken the heat but I think DeMar DeRozan someone who's been very public about being depressed and trying to seek help I think people would have given him at least a little bit better benefit of a doubt than a little
0: bit and it wouldn't have looked as bad it wouldn't have looked as bad because DeMar's not going to turn over the ball as much as Russ did part of the problem is just and this is not calling Russ dumb or anything this is saying he makes dumb plays Russ makes dumb plays and I think Russell Westbrook could admit to it or at least you'd like to think that he would admit to it his post-game press conferences wouldn't suggest it But I think that there has to be a certain level of self-reflection. A lot of those turnovers were on Russell Westbrook. And if you are just watching the Lakers game, you have to just be groaning every time he just makes one of these abysmal turnovers. Damar's not going to do that. So I think from an optics standpoint, last year he would have not put himself as much as public enemy number one as Russ ended up doing. I think that would have been the biggest difference between the two guys. Uh, Last year, like I said, if the Lakers made this move, I think they'd be better. I don't know if they're championship better. That's all going to be like you mentioned, depending on health. But, you know, it's fun for Lakers fans to dream. Think about the what if possibilities here. And I appreciate JJ Riddick, old man in the three for asking these questions, getting this out there on a public forum. So thank you for the content today, guys.